Let's uh, let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, Jesus, King, here we are. We sit, we stand, we kneel before your throne, Lord. Here we are to come and meet with you in this place. We ask that you would do a great work, that we would walk away blessed, that we would walk away with much, that you would speak to us in a new and fresh way, that we would not only get manna, Lord, the sweet manna from heaven, Lord, but we would have meat to walk away with, that we would be blessed in such a new and fresh way that we would want to go and talk about it, that we would be wanting to talk about you, Jesus, afterwards. Oh, King, stir up our hearts, please. Oh, Lord, please give me words. I don't know what to say. Please reveal yourself in such a new way. Thank you for this time. We come here for you, Jesus, not for anything else. We want to know you. If, we, if you glory in anything, glory in this, that you know it and understand me, says the Lord. And we recognize that, Father, that you said that to us. And so we want to glory in knowing and understanding you. So help us to understand you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 2. We covered verses 1, 2, and 3 last week, and so we're going to be jumping right into verse 4. And of course we have the count of the account of creation, and a little bit of history and background on the book of Genesis, where it was coming from, and Moses has written it, of course. Genesis meaning in the beginning or the beginning. It's good for the verse-verse, huh? fits perfectly. But we're just going to dive right into it. What has happened up to this point is God has spent seven days on this earth. That's right. What can you do in seven days? Ask yourself the question. Me? Not much. I can try to make stuff happen, but it doesn't make. It normally doesn't work. But God, everything He does happens, and everything that you see before you—that's right. Go pick a flower, go roll in the grass, go eat an orange, go smell a flower, go watch—you know—some animals at the zoo. He created it all. That's right. In six days, and on the seventh, He rested. We brought the illustration of us resting. God said, "Let there be light," and remember, there was light. And so I was saying, "Let there be light in your life." Let there be light, please. Let there be light in such a new and fresh way that everyone can see. And so Genesis chapter 2, we're going to dive right in. Verse 4, let's take a look together. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. And in that day, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This here, what we're looking at, what we're about to view, is kind of a... I would say that the, the first chapter here is kind of like an overview. It's kind of like looking from a blimp's eye view. And this chapter two is more of a zoom in the scope, lock in the target, kind of to see very closely what's happening here. Kind of a, a, a zoom in to see what's happening here on earth at this time and what God is doing at a closer eyes view. So that's what we're looking at here. This is the, it, the generations or the, or the history of the heavens verse 4, of the earth when they were created. And in that day, or in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, notice the word heavens there is plural. Many people say that's a contradiction between Genesis 1.1 and this verse right here in chapter 2, verse 4. Now, the Lord did create the heavens and the earth. The word heavens there is speaking of, it's plural. Why? Because heavens is speaking of three different places, 
Paul refers to heavens or the heavens as, number one, we have the sky, of course, where the birds fly. Number two, space, the planets and everything that's going on up there. And number three, obviously, where we are soon to be, which I'm stoked on. We're going to be there with the king, truly. I can't believe it. We're really going to be there. Just as we sit here in this place, I always joke around with my pit guys, the guys from the desert. I say, you know what, boys? I remember I exhorted them before I left, and I said, listen up, guys. There's coming a day, and that day might be today, that me and you, we're going to see the king. And maybe even in this room right now, as we're sitting here, and I was talking about, there's going to be a classroom up in heaven, and, and we're going to be all walking up to it, and we're going to hear John in there singing scripture worship and going off and we're going to walk in and take our seats and start studying and start praising the king and he's going to be right there with us and even in this moment truly we must keep in our minds we must stay focused that even in this moment at any time and it may be on a Tuesday night one of these nights when we'll be teaching here we'll be talking and spending time with the Lord and all of a sudden we're transported into heaven and maybe this house is there I don't know in a whole different way but we're sitting there and all of a sudden it's like Hey guys, we're here. We made it. And there's Jesus. Maybe all of a sudden I'm you know, on my face right here and the king standing here teaching us all. And that day is coming soon. We must not miss out. John Corson did a prophecy update just about a week and a half ago. You might want to check that out on johncorson.com or I'm sorry, searchlight.org. I'm not sure. You type it on Google, John Corson. You check it out. Prophecy update on all the things that are happening right now in this day that the Bible talks about. Right now, this day, all the things in Iran and Russia and the Middle East. Man, I want to go into it, but I can't. We'll stick to the text here. But heavens, plural, speaking of, yes, where the birds fly, where, well, people in our day go, space, finally we've made it, the final frontier. And heaven, a whole other dimension where, I don't know, I have no clue where it's at, but we're going there. Verse 5, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth yet. There was no man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Look at this. Very interesting. There's been no rain on the earth up till now. No rain. There's no rain. When, was, when did rain first come? Well, we know. You know. Bible students. Noah's day, of course. You see there in uh, what it's Genesis chapter, I think, is it 7? I think 7. You see verse 11 and 12 there. You can just take notes. Check it for yourself. In 11 and 12, you see God opening the waters of the heavens and dumping it on the whole earth. And that's the first time it rained. But it has not rained yet. The way that the, uh, the plants got water was the Lord says this mist came from the ground. I was thinking about this. Okay, how does this work? Well, it says there in Genesis chapter 1, remember we talked about the canopy being around the earth, like this some kind of thin or thick, I don't know how, how, how big it was, but layer of water that went all the way around the earth where like our atmosphere, you know, like where just this some kind of, I don't know what you call it, they call it a canopy, that's what uh, scholars refer to it as, some kind of canopy that held water all the way around the earth. It'd be like if we took a giant, um, I don't know, tarp or something, you know, some kind of piece of plastic and put water all around it, you know, and it was sitting above us, but it was everywhere around us. And there was also water on the earth at that time, too. So what would happen? The sun is beaming through the water. Water is not going to evaporate because the water up 
there in the canopy is obviously cooling it down, but I could see the water kind of sort of kind of evaporating halfway, but not forming clouds, like causing a mist to start to water the earth, because the sun cannot heat it up enough to obviously form clouds, pull up water, and then rain on the earth, because there's a canopy in the way. Just like, and John, I remember reading the commentary, he was saying something like, in that day, you wouldn't really get a, you get the perfect suntan, you never get sunburnt, because the canopy was keeping you from getting burnt, you know, it was cooling things down, it was keeping everything on this earth, you'd never see dead grass or anything like that, because it was perfectly watered, it was like a greenhouse, it was perfect, and this is how God was watering the earth in that time, until what? The flood comes, in Genesis chapter 7, what happens? All of a sudden God does this, yoink, and rips the uh, plastic that's holding all the water, you know, and all of a sudden, ba-boom, everything comes down, and of course, you know, it rains 40 days before that, floods the entire earth, that's a lot of water, something interesting to note. How big does a water drop need to be when it is released from a cloud to get to the earth? Think about it. When you dump water off a building, it separates very quickly, doesn't it? Very quickly. How does water fall miles and miles high and do a perfect droplet this size and hit the ground? You can feel it hit you at this size. If I take a glass of water and dump it off maybe a four-story building, it'll all, you know, it'll, you know, if the wind's blowing or, you know, it just, it like, looks like it disappears right there for, before your eyes. How does water get from there to here in a perfect droplet this size? How big does the water droplet have to be before it hits the ground? This big? I don't know. It's a mystery. It's, in, it's God. It's impossible the way it happens, the way it works. Rain, another mystery of the Lord. Be reminded of that. Grace like rain falls down on us, doesn't it? When it rains, be reminded of the mysteries of God and how awesome and amazing He is. Let's look at verse 7 here. And the Lord God formed man and of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. The word man there is obviously Adam. Adam means man, but also this word man, the root word for this word is dust. That's right, dust. That's right, he formed him out of dust. Dust of the ground is the root word for man. Interesting. If you take dust and blow into it, guess what happens? It just blows away. God takes dust and blows into it, guess what happens? A man starts breathing. Amazing. What we think, what we have, just dirt, plain old dirt, all we can do with it is blow it around or kick it and kick up some dust or this and that, whatever's in our life, whatever's going on. There's a lot of things that we blow on, that we breathe on, but they just don't work, do they? They just blow away. Things get messed up. Problems, situations, trials, and tribulations, you know them. They come to us, but we know that our king, when he blows on that dirt, whatever that is in your life, that dirt, we we just get dirty in it. He blows into it, and guess what? Life comes from it. We blow in dirt, blows away. God blows in dirt, and guess what? you got a man. Amazing. The living soul, the breath of life, breathing into the nostrils. Something I pose to you guys as a question. Something to get your mind thinking. I'm not going to give you any answer, just something to get the gears turning. It says that when this man's was breathed through his nose, or when the breath of life came into him, guess what? He was a living soul. 
Is a baby a living soul before or after it is breathed into or has its first breath? Decide for yourself. I'll leave you with that. I know, I know. You're like, why'd you do that, Josh? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and he put the man whom he had formed. The Lord God planted a garden. Have you ever planted a garden? It's difficult. The Lord's garden is probably the most beautiful, radical, off-the-hook thing you've ever seen. Of course it was. Eden means delight or pleasure, beauty. It was awesome. Eden is where he put the man. Where is this? Where is Eden? Well, scholars say uh, Mongolia, India, or Ethiopia. Well, actually, there's a couple things that point to that. Because of where these rivers that we're about to look at, where they point to on the map, you see where these rivers go by. The, uh, they, they give some weird names in here. You'll see the names. But and these, these, uh, these rivers nowadays have different names, obviously, that we've renamed them. But they come from certain, uh, I don't know, ranges, like this mountain range. Obviously, Mount Ararat is where the Euphrates River and the Tigris River run, which are two of the rivers that came out of the Garden of Eden. And so we know that it might be up there on Mount Ararat, which many scholars say because that's where Noah's Ark's at. And so, I don't know, they say, you know, it's like the Lord getting back, Noah getting back to the garden. They say things like um, it might be under the Persian Gulf, under the water, because these rivers are running from the Gulf, the Pers- uh, which I don't know how that would actually work unless the ground sunk or something, but they say that the Garden of Eden could be under the waters there. I would say that, I mean, no man's ever going to find the garden or where it's at or what it looked like, but, and, well, the reason why is because we see here at the end of Genesis chapter 3, a cherubim standing at the gate of Eden, and guess what? Nobody's coming in. He holds the flaming sword there. And we're going to look at that next week on why Adam was not allowed to get back into the garden, why God put a man with a flaming sword there saying, you're not coming back in. But if anybody wanted to get in the Garden of Eden, you couldn't. I wonder if it was just a whole other dimension, or if God is hiding it from us, just like he said in a lot of things, like the Ark of the Covenant, you know. Why can't we find it? Noah's Ark, why haven't we found it and without a shadow of a doubt? I don't know yet, but we'll see. But let's look at verse uh, 9 here. Out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight. I love that. Every single tree that's pleasant, guess what? God made it. And when you look at that, notice that your eyes enjoy looking at trees. Notice that your eyes enjoy looking at the sky and staring at clouds. Notice that your eyes just enjoy these different colors and fascinating Why is it that nature is like the most amazing thing to us? When we look at it, we're just like... I mean, you can only stare at a building for so long. Man-made, it's like, yeah, that's cool, but come on. You know, we're done with that. But staring at like flowers and just waterfalls and it's just awesome. Mountains and the beach, the waves coming in, a sunset. Amazing. It just works with your eyes. Why does it work like that? It just happens to be that way that you enjoy looking at the sunset and it comes for you every single day and the sunrise. It just so happens to be that there's flowers all around us and they can bring a smile to our face when times are down. It just so happens to be that everything in the earth that we see, the Lord created and it just works. It just fits. 
we enjoy it. I love that. It's pleasant to our eyes. It's because the king made it, and it's because the king made us. How many times do you think a monkey enjoys a sunset? I never. Or a cat or a dog or any animal. But we do. They don't care about the things, the nature of this world, but we, for some reason, do. It says, and it's good for food in verse 9. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Notice, two trees there. Notice two trees. Two trees. Two trees. Two trees. The Lord, I was driving in my car the other day, and the Lord just showed me something pretty cool. He said, you know, there's two trees. That's right, two trees there. And I noticed there's two trees. There's one tree that sin came into the world from. Two trees. One tree that sin came in by, and one tree that it went out by. Two men. One man that sin came, sin came into the world, Adam, and one man that sin went out or was forgiven, wiped away, paid for, Jesus our King. The first and last Adam. The first tree, a man eating of the fruit, sin coming into the world. The second tree, guess what? Jesus being pinned to it, nailed to it. And we are forgiven and set free because of that tree. You know, they say that the tree that Jesus was nailed to, many scholars say that it was an actual tree. Because the reason why it would be an actual tree is because wood was very expensive in those days, and trying to you know, make paper out of it and write these scrolls, they didn't you know, have Xerox you know, or, or this, all these paper companies that we have in these days, obviously. But the stuff was expensive, and so what they would do is they would take a man, he would maybe, me and Robert were talking about this, maybe, I, we were trying to figure out how it worked, but the scholars say that you know they nailed to the tree. You know they would carry their beam or whatever up to the tree, and then they would nail the beam to the tree, or they would nail them to the tree um, right there with the beam as it's strapped to their arms. They would nail their hands to the tree. The reason doing this is because then they wouldn't have to cut down trees, and they could use the trees over and over. Because guess what? When you nail into a tree, guess what happens? It heals itself, and you can use it all over again. And they can reuse these trees. There's plenty of criminals. They can post them all over the place, nailing them to the tree. I love it. What a great parallel. Jesus, our King. Two trees here. We're going to get back to the trees in a couple of verses down the way, but let's look at the rivers. A river went out, verse 10, of Eden to the water, to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads of four rivers. The name of the first one is Pison, or the Wadi Rabba River. That's, that's what they call it in this day. I don't know why. It's kind of whatever. But that is in which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. I wonder if there's still gold there today. I wonder if we could map it out and find it. I bet you there is. The Bible is extremely accurate. And the gold of that land is good. Well, there you go. There is Bedel... I'm sorry. Bedellium and the onyx stone there. And the name of the second river is Gihon. And the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. I was going to break down the names of each one of these rivers. They're very interesting, but I'm going to let you do that since we're running out of time. I'll let you do that on your own. You should look at each name of each river. Very interesting what these names are. And you think it through and try to piece it together and see and ask yourself, why would God name these rivers these rivers? What do they have to do with anything? Coming from the Garden of Eden, they 
watered the Garden of Eden. They took care of the Garden of Eden, the water, bringing life to everything there within the garden. And each one of these rivers is named something different. They don't give us a definition right here, but you have to look it up yourself. It's very interesting. And the name of the third river, verse 14, Hedekel, that is, which goeth towards the east of Assyria, and the fourth river, Euphrates, which, you know which that is. Verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. I love that. The Lord God put him into a garden to dress it and to keep it. To dress it and to keep it. Adam was a gardener. He was to dress it and to take care of it and to keep it. But guess what? In those days, it wasn't a bummer. It wasn't hard work. It was recreation. It was fun. It was something to do. I'm sure Adam enjoyed it. Naming the animals, going around, letting them parade around. As he knew every single one by name. As I would come to the conclusion that he probably used telepathy to be able to speak with them and communicate knowing that he used 100% of his mind. We only use what they say like 10% or something. Or actually we use our whole mind but we don't. Well, we don't need to get into that. But we see Adam here diving into this garden and God giving him the role of dressing it and keeping it here. You know, I do a whole message I, uh, on, uh, you know, just getting back to the garden. You know, this, this, it's a little difficult for me, exposition, teaching verse by verse through the Bible, because I don't... You know, John, I'm just going to share my heart with you. When we were in the desert, John was saying, you know, what you want to do is teach, you want to teach a topical study on Sunday mornings, you know? Then Wednesday nights, you want to break down the Bible. You want to dig into it. You want to... Um, break it down and help the folks to understand it so that they would be able to teach it themselves or teach their families or to their friends and help them to understand exactly what's going on in the text. That we can have the scriptures sit in our hearts. It's a difficult thing for me because it's a hard balance going back and forth between theme and getting the meat or bringing it to the table, bringing the facts, bringing the... It's more fun, I guess, maybe to study on our own you know, and dig into the verses and find great insights. But there's some awesome stuff here within the text. And maybe we say focused in some new way. I know it's difficult. I know, um, I remember listening to Chuck Smith, you know, I know he teaches three, four hour sermons sometimes. Just breaking down the Bible and just, you just listen. And you walk away with just the words of God. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Just His words. And it's great, and it's wonderful, and you can walk away with much. And so as we look at this text, please try to bear with me. Please try to grab on. Please try to gain much. Gain what you can from it that you may be able to break it down yourself and understand. And I hope to bring an overview of application to our lives, of course. The manna. But keeping up the garden, dressing it, wasn't hard. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Out of every tree of the garden thou may freely eat. I love that word freely there. Look at it. Freely. Freely. You may freely eat. You may freely eat. Life in that abundantly. Be free. I love that. Because our lives, in the same way, should be free. Should be freeing. And a lot of times you look at a Christian life and it seems like they're in bondage. Like, Christianity for some reason is some kind of prison. Bunch of rules and regulations, you know, we got to get locked in and 
locked down. You know, you can't go out and do whatever. You can't be free at all. It's a bummer that Christians in these days that the world looks at us as a bunch of rules and regulations. If God made life and He made freedom and liberty and happiness and joy and rest and all the above, and He gives that, just as He gave this freedom to Adam in the garden, don't you think that we should be experiencing it in the greatest degree, the greatest way? The world should be looking at us Christians and saying, what is going on? What are you on? What are you taking? What's wrong with your mind? How are you so free? How are you so easy going? Why are you so laid back? Why doesn't the world eat at you? The boss just screamed at you. Why don't you get bummed out or down or depressed? This life's free, man. This life is awesome. I have Jesus, my King, to take care of all problems. Anything that happens to my life, anything that I go, go through, I just go to the King, and guess what? I receive rest. Talking with this, uh, talking about this with someone last week. I can't remember, but believing and knowing is two completely different things. Believing that God is going to take care of every situation in life truly. This is elementary, my friends. But we worry, we get bummed out, we get depressed, we wonder. And the reason why is because there is not true faith built there. When you believe, when you know, when you understand with all your heart that everything is going to work out, you do not get bummed out. The only reason we ever see Jesus getting bummed out, down, or depressed is when? Well, number one, He weeped for the people. He was bummed out and down because they were not knowing the Father. They did not have the freedom that He had. And of course, for the the man who died, Lazarus, we see Jesus weeping. For the loss. For the loss of a loved one. So yes, there is reason to mourn and cry. And in life, yes. But I truly do believe that life in that abundantly is given to each man. You guys. And me too. And don't you want... I desire so badly. This is what I desire. Friends, hear my heart. I just want I just want everybody that I come in contact with to truly be able to see that life is okay and happy and, and wonderful and easy. And it's not because I have that kind of life, it's because of what Jesus has done in my life. It's because He's given me heaven. It's because He's done so much. He's been there for me so gracious and wonderful. where everyone in the world would, when they see my life, when they see your life, when they see our lives, they'd want to fall on their face and say, God is good. Or they see, look into our lives and see a banner of love, Jesus, something new. When they talk to us, they're completely refreshed, made brand new. Adam was free there in the garden. Because he walked and talked with God every day. He spent time with Him. I'm telling you, if you've not been able to spend time with the King by yourself outside, it is one of the greatest things you could ever experience in all your days. That's what Adam did. 
No housing. He just walked in the garden and talked with the king. And may we walk and talk with him in that same way. If you're going through a problem right now or you see something going, I'm telling you, you need to grab onto the king and this is why. Because if Adam ever had a question about any one of the animals or the trees, who did he go to? The Lord. He was there with him. And all questions were answered. And everything was made at rest. And everything was always okay with Adam. Because he had Jesus there in the garden with him. And has God not placed you and me on this garden, on this earth? Look around us. Take away all the houses and the cool stuff we built. Guess what we got? A giant garden. And he desires just to be with us and hang out with us. And he wants us to take care of this place. And to set other people free. By showing people the king. And so as Adam was here in the garden, being able to dress it and keep it, so do we have the opportunity. And it is not a chore. It's not hard. It's wonderful. Is it a bummer when you only have five bucks in your pocket and you're at McDonald's and some man walks in and doesn't have any money and asks for money? Now you got his five bucks and he says, hey, you know, I'd like to get a, you know, number one up there. And, you know, number one is also like three ninety-nine or three, whatever. It's like four bucks and change. And, and you think to yourself, but that's, I'm not going to get to eat. Is it a bummer to take the money and give that to that man and you don't eat that day? That's the greatest joy and freedom that any man could ever experience. Denying himself and giving to someone else, it's amazing. That's what Jesus has done for us. The king, guess what? He was rich. And he became poor. I would love to see... Love. Have you ever seen a man say he was a millionaire? And walked up to another man and said, Hey, I make $1 million a year. How much do you make? Well, I make uh, about twenty-five. you know? 25000 Okay, well, guess what? I want you to make $1 million a year, so let's just trade salaries, okay? You take mine, and I'll take yours. I will become poor so that you can become rich. But what about your family? That's okay. We're going to be okay. Friend, that is what the king has done for us. Don't you know that he's traded incomes with us? He was the richest man to ever live. But he became poor and gave us heaven. He took our hell where we were poor and he made us rich with heaven. Our Jesus is amazing. Let our hearts be changed forever because we understand that. Let the way we live be changed forever. Yeah, I was asking myself yesterday, Lord, what is it that changes the world? What is it that starts a revolution? What is it that starts revival? How do we get this train moving? How does one man, how does Martin Luther 
do such an amazing... How do these things happen? I was thinking, because who started, who started the, you know, the, the, uh, the illegal immigrant day thing, you know, where everybody, you know, took the day off? Who started, who made that movement? Who made that happen? How did that happen? What did Paul do? Why was he so different? How did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand out so big in their day? What did they do? Why were they different? I want that. And I want things to start to happen. And I believe they prayed, and I believe they sought the king, and I believe they were free in such a new and fresh way in their life that people saw it. And they wanted to change. And they looked at their lives and said, I don't like the way things are here. I want whatever they have. I want that freedom. I want that happiness. Jesus only had 12. And they changed the world. Revival starts in the heart of each person. Are you experiencing revival today? You've been set in this garden. Are you free? The only way to be set free is by hanging out with the king every day. Every day. All day, every day. Just walking and talking with the Lord. There's nothing better. TV is lame. Our media is lame. The places we go, it's alright. It's not until we start talking about Jesus that lives get lit up. Truly, think about it. You think about the times that you sit down with your friends and we talk about nonsense? It's like, well, that's cool. But it's the times that we sit down and pray together or minister to one another or exalt the King and teach one another. Those are the times when we are changed forever. Do you agree with me? We get to do that. Man, I'm, I just... I long for that day when this city becomes a church as a whole and we meet house to house and just talk about Jesus if you can go tomorrow I'm going to go speak over at UCR and I'm so excited moving house to house you know being able to teach there this is 7 o'clock and I'm just hoping that I don't know. I I'm speechless because what I truly long. I'm sorry we're getting off the study, but this is what I long for you guys and me too, for reals. Is that we would just it would somehow have hearts, you know, that that care so much, you know, for the people around us and care for so much for. I remember in the desert when it happened to me. I remember in the desert when I was up on my rock and I was sitting there. And I just wanted to cry so bad. You know, I wanted to get down on my face and just scream and yell and, and get upset because I was so mad. Because I was experiencing happiness and I was in the desert and I was set free and I was okay and everything was right in life. 
and that my brothers are not experiencing that, that Jacob and Jesse did not know that. That they, in their place where they're at, are not happy. They're not experiencing this great joy. They're getting ripped off by the enemy. The enemy gives them the birdie to their face every day and says, Aha, I ripped you off again. Look at the mess you're in. You can't get out, can you? You don't know how. I wonder if he mocks him and says, you know, it's so that you, even I know how simple it is. All you got to do is call upon the name of Jesus and talk with him. I used to hang out with him. I know him. You don't even know. Adam knew. He's put in the garden to dress it and to walk with the Lord. Let's blast through this. we got about, looks like eight more verses there or so. And the Lord God, verse 16, commanded the man, saying, Out of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely. Love that freely. Verse 17, But of the tree of knowledge and good and evil thou shalt not eat it, for in the day thou eatest thereof you shall surely die. Notice there, he only mentions one tree. What about the other tree? What about the tree of life? Why doesn't he say anything about it? All he does is tell us that the tree of life is there. Gives no description of it. Doesn't say you can't eat of it or can't eat of it. Well, guess what we're about to look at next week is how the tree of life gives you life. That's right, it locks you into play in whatever state you are in. It gives you life, the tree of life. I believe God kicked them out of the garden because if they went back in in their sinful nature and ate of it, it says He kicked them out of the garden because of the tree of life and put an angel or a cherubim standing there with a, a flaming sword not letting them come back in because of the tree of life. If they came back in and ate of the tree of life, guess what happened? They would stay in their sinful nature for eternity. They'd stay locked in. He kept them out because of the tree of life. I wonder if Adam ever ate of the tree of life. Who is the tree of life? It's Jesus. It's our King. Eat of the tree of life and you have life everlasting. The tree of life there not mentioned just struck my mind. I didn't reason through why. The Lord said not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or you'll surely die, spiritually, of course, and physically, eventually. Verse 18, And the Lord God said, Is it not good, or it is not good, that the man should be alone? I will make for him a helpmate, or a helpmeet for him. Look at it. Everything that God said in the creation, guess what he said? This is good. And this was good. And this was good. And this was very good. Remember at the end of chapter 1? It says in verse 31, And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. But guess what? The one thing that God said was not good for man to be alone. I wonder if Adam was looking around. How come uh, Mr. and Mrs. Lyon have uh, you know, a maid and I don't? You know, He didn't have one. And God saw that that wasn't good and that he needed one too. Notice the word there. Help me. This is what the word woman is. Or this is what God made him. Someone to come alongside him and help him. This is why he took the rib from the side. The woman's not supposed to be behind the man where he looks down and hammers or 
beats or mocks or looks down on? Or to be in front of where she rules the relationship and takes over and runs everything? But to be a helpmate right by his side? And out of the ground in verse 19, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. I love that. Did you see that? God brought every single animal to Adam to name them. Adam, your choice, man. Do whatever you want. Name any animal any way you want. God gave Adam a choice here. And God even locks it into place. The next part of this verse, he says, the reason why I named it this is why? It's because Adam named it. That's the reason why it has that name. Not because I named it, but because of Adam named it. It's, it's very interesting. And brought them, God brought them, God brought them, God could bring them in this day at any time he wants. God knows the animals very well. He has control completely of them. <coughs> Remember the fish who brought the coin in Jesus' day? Jesus said, go in the pond, and there will be a fish come up. Correct? And look in its mouth, and there will be a coin there, and go pay that to Caesar. Jonah swallowed them up. The whale. Donkey opened his mouth and spoke. Amazing. The lions, their mouths were shut and could not kill Daniel. Amazing. God has complete control of them today as he did back then. Brings them all to Adam and to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Wow, he gave Adam a choice. Wink, wink. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to all the fowl or birds of the air and to every beast of the field. For Adam, there was not found a helpmate for him. That's right, he was looking at all the animals and there was not a helpmate for him except there was one for every single one of the animals. And verse 21, And the Lord God calls a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And guess what? There's a sweet message here. Adam was single at this time. Yes, he was. Single man. Wanting a helpmate looking at the animals wondering, why does everybody else have a mate and I don't? Maybe you're looking at the animals around you. I'm just kidding. But singles, it wasn't until Adam was put to sleep. It wasn't until he was asleep when the Lord brought him a mate. And the Lord says to the singles of today, if you're listening to this message online, listen up. You need to go to sleep. You need to be at rest. It wasn't until Adam went to sleep. You think if Adam would have started jumping around the trees and swinging from limb to limb that, you know, he would have, you know, or, or running around trying to do his thing, you know, going from club to club or whatever, this and that, trying to find his mate, all he would have found was a monkey, you know, or closest thing to him. Wouldn't have been the right mate. Wouldn't have worked. But if you're looking for that mate, if you're waiting for that mate, hey, you need to go to sleep. You need to be at rest. You need to forget about all this game. Go to sleep. Let God take the rib that he has taken and put it where it needs to be. The Lord has everything under control, just as he did in this day. The Lord took the rib 
I'm sorry, in verse 22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. You guys know the joke. When Adam saw the woman, guess why he named her woman? Because he said, Whoa, man. Ha, 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 ha. He's blown away. And he brought her unto the man, and, the, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Yep. Also here, the word man, it means, the word is ish. I-S-H. Guess what woman is? Isha. I-S-H-A. She had Adam's name, even the first marriage ever. That's right. He took, she took his last name. She took his name, Ish. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Many times we are ashamed in life. Why are we ashamed? Because we're caught naked. That's right. We're caught naked. You can't get away from it. The Lord sees you through and through. He sees everything. You have nothing to stand there. You're standing there before the Lord, and one day every man will be. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to run from. There's nothing you can do. Naked before the Lord. And we're going to look at that next week also. But it was okay here. It was right. One flesh, they became one flesh. Speaking of sex, of course. We know that we see them here being bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They became one. They were interlocked. There is something real quick, again, for relationships, very important when looking for a mate or... You want to make sure there, there's three elements, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, a very interesting phrase there in the Hebrew, and I can't remember it exactly, I don't have it written down, but it's an interesting phrase that talks about three parts or being complete, one, completely one. Three parts of a human, there's body, soul, and spirit, and all of these need to line up. Body, of course, well, here I am, this is me. Soul, hey, it's my personality, it's who I am. Spirit, that's right, it's the Lord, it's spending time with Him. Spirit, relationship with the King. There are three aspects to every single person, and these aspects need to line up when a relationship comes together. Very important. Very important. Soul, personality. You've got to like to do the same things. You've got to be the same kind of person. You're going to run into some huge problems. When you find out that one likes to talk about this and that, this and that, this and that, and this and that, and the other just doesn't want to talk, period. When you find out that one loves to be outside and do crazy things and the other just says, we're never going outside. Soul, personality, very important to make sure these things are locked together. Number two, of course, well, let's jump to spirit. Spiritually on the same level. Running after the same king. If one's a brand new believer and one that is seasoned, you're going to have some problems. You say, hey, let's pray together. Well, I don't want to pray. Okay, um, well, let's go to church. I don't want to. Uh, well, um, I'd love to worship together. Why? Uh, you're going to run into all kinds of different issues when you're on different levels. If you're running at the same pace, 
and you're locked up at the same level, well, things are going to be a lot easier. When these things, when these things come your way, you're going to be okay. Spiritually, very, very, very important. And physically, very important. You need to be attracted to the person. Because guess what? If you're not, just like some people try to push up, say, say you got soul and spirit lined up perfectly, right? The body, like, you know, it's like, well, but I just love who they are. We meet, connect spiritually so much. You know, I'm just, oh, they're so cute. You know, it's like, no, you should be saying, dang, they're hot, you know? <laughs> I want that, you know? You should be, that's what should be going on in the mind. It's okay to think that. Don't let the mind wander. But it's important to think that. Why? Because, hey, if you don't have that, then guess what's going to happen? When you get in a relationship, you know, all of a sudden, what happens when you don't, you're not attracted to them anymore, and you don't, aren't attracted to them physically. You have sexual problems in your relationship, and in marriage, and, well, they just don't, I just don't, you know, I'm not attracted to them anymore, you know, this and that. It, it, it's huge problems. A lot of relationships in this world, you see what? With two, they settle for two and don't go for three. They settle for two. Well, you know, we got, um, you know, soul and, you know, body lined up, man. You know, we just connect in all parts, man. I'm stoked, you know. But guess what? Spiritually, oh no, it's going to crash and burn. Spiritually and body, we connect 100%. Guess what? When you get married or things come down and they so-and-so wants to do this and the other, and just personality clash, you're going to have huge problems. You have people who don't even talk to each other when they're, you know, 60, 70 years old because they're just fed up with the other and they can't deal with it anymore. Very important to have all three. Don't settle for two, my friend. Make sure all three are locked in. Just as God made the perfect woman for Adam, God has made the perfect person for you. Know that. Chase after that. Run after that. Find that. You know who the perfect person is? It's Jesus. There's no one else that will ever satisfy you. No one that will ever make you happy. No one that will ever give you rest in the way that our King has, in the way that our King does. And guess what? In a relationship, when you are at rest with Jesus, you know, I'm going to read a passage just real quick. It's in John's commentary. It's awesome. I underlined it. He says it best. So I'm not going to try to see it. Say it. Hmm. It says, wife, he's speaking of um, Eve there, I'm sorry. Wife, you came from the side of a man, and you will find fulfillment at the side of your man neither leading him nor lagging behind him, but standing by him, standing with him, submitting to him. But know this, wives, your husbands will never be all you want or need him to be. A rib was taken from Adam, and men have been missing something ever since. There is only one who has it all together. He's not called the second Adam, which means there might be a third one. He is called the last Adam because there is no other. And he is not missing anything. Why? Because he was born, he wasn't born, the way every man since the first Adam is born. And he will be the one who will listen to you by the hour and walk with you in the garden in the cool of the day. He will be the one who will hear not only the words of your lips, but also the cries of your heart. He will be the one 
who will truly understand you. Thus, when we start seeking what we crave from the last Adam, from Jesus Christ, we take pressure off our husband or wife and are then able to enjoy them without expecting something from them that they cannot give us. And that is the truth, my friends. Jesus, our King, is the only one that can satisfy. And when we find complete rest and satisfaction in Him, guess what? We just get to enjoy each other and have a blast hanging out in this life. It works the same with family members. It works the same with any relationship you have on this earth. When you are at rest in the King, when they are at rest in the King, guess what? You guys are both at rest, and so you don't expect anything from one another. And so what happens? You just get to enjoy and have a blast and party together. Understand that. Jesus is the only way you will be free. I don't know how to communicate this any better, my friends. The best way that I know is to go outside right now, to look up at the sky, and talk to my Lord. Share with Him the burdens of my heart. Spend time with Him and let Him know what's going on. And that is where I am set free. I'll sing a song to Him. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. I will call upon the Lord. Don't let your soul, don't let your spirit, don't let your body not call upon the Lord. If you want to be free, if you want the key, chase after the one who can give you everything. His name is Jesus, Jesus, sad hearts weep no more. He's healed the brokenhearted, opened wide the prison doors, and he is able to deliver evermore. Don't miss out, okay? Please, walk away tonight wanting and longing to spend time with Jesus more. I know we looked at a lot here today. I know it's a lot to chew. I want you guys to be awesome Bible students to know what you believe and why you believe it. And to know this thing through and through. I'm learning with you. But if you just listen to the words and you do not apply, we gain nothing. If we walk out of this place the same way we were today and act tomorrow the same way we have in the past, we have nothing. And guess what? All the people around you will look at you in the exact same way and think the exact same things. And there is no impact. There is no change. There is no revival happening. And so please, I love you guys. Stefan, I want us to be happy. I want this room to change the world. I know we can do it, Robert. I know it. I'm telling you, man. If we come together as a family and we pray together, Jay, I know it. If we come together as a family and spend time in the scriptures and take communion, I know it. Can we take communion together? Would that be all right? I know we're like 10 minutes over. I just want to celebrate the King with you guys, just real quick, okay? And we're going to celebrate the King right now, what He's done for us.
Praise the Lord. Man. Why do I do this with you guys? I know, I know it's like, you know what? Praise the Lord. We take communion together Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, you know, until I come back. One day, we are going to take communion with the King again. Me and you, together, we'll see Jesus take up the cup. We'll see Him break the bread. The Feast of the Lamb. We will one day be with the King, breaking bread with Him. He says for us to break it, the bread, and to drink the cup until he comes, remembering his body and his blood. Jesus says, this is my body which was broken for you. This is my blood which was shed for all men. Why do we take communion? Not to do repetitions of vain, vain repetitions where we get lost in this, yep, yep, you know, I was thirsty, praise the Lord, you know. <laughs> no! Man, I'm stoked on this little cracker. I'm so hungry. <laughs> no! But we come together to eat this bread to find motivation to remember what this is all about when there's problems going on in life. We realize that He died for all these things. If we have animosity towards somebody, guess what? Our heart becomes broken because we can't believe that He would forgive us of all the sin that we have done. And so, of course, we should want to forgive everyone around us. We should have no animosity towards anyone. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. This is our first love. This is the whole reason we have been here tonight. The only reason you are even here is because of what Jesus has done for you and for me too. We would not come together in Bible study if we did not have salvation. We would not worship if we did not have salvation. We would not fellowship and talk about Jesus if we did not have salvation. We must get back to this cup. Take communion on your own day, please. Take it on your lunch break. If you're having a hard time at work, take it on your lunch break. If you're having a hard time in a relationship, take it, take it right there. If you're, if you're having a hard time with a family member, take it there. If you just want some motivation and just excitement, then take it in the name of Jesus and be blessed. Say, Lord, this is going to pass away. I'm going to be with you, King. Cheers to that! I'm so happy you've forgiven me. When you sin and you mess up and you feel guilty and you feel bummed out, go back to the community table and say, hey, I've been forgiven and be set free. That's right. Have you been messing around this week? Have you been dabbling in things you shouldn't? Have you said things that you shouldn't to so-and-so or thought things about him or her? Who cares? It's forgiven. Forget about it. It's been nailed to the cross, my friend. Jesus has forgiven you today, yesterday, and forever. Don't worry about it. Be set free. Let that burden be free off your back right now in Jesus' name. His body... Let's raise it with me, please. His body was broken so that you could be made complete. His body was broken 
so that sinful nature could be nailed to the cross. Guess what, friend? If you're, if you're dealing with sin right now and you're trying to get away from it, you do not have to give in to sin anymore because of this. If you want to, you can. You were once in handcuffs, but guess what? When this body was broken, handcuffs taken off. You were not chained to it anymore. If you believe that within your heart, truly, you can say to that mountain and cast it into the sea, is what Jesus is speaking about in Matthew chapter 7. Is that sin, is that problem in your life. You can cast it away and believe that. Believe that you have been set free. Believe that whatever it is that is haunting you, forget about it, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Believe it, please believe it in your heart. If this body was not broken, you do not have that freedom. The handcuffs are still on. But because it was, you are set free. So be free. Secondly, you're healed. Sickness, cancer, I don't care what it is, you will be healed. Either in this life or the next. Jesus promises to heal you. By his stripes, we are healed. If you don't get healed on this earth, guess what? As soon as you step into heaven, you're healed. So you will be, so don't worry about it ever again. Pray to God, you have not because you ask not. And so Jesus, our King. Lord, let's pray to Him. Let's talk to Him. We recognize that you have set us free. That we have liberty. That we have freedom. We have a new life in you, Christ. We realize that the sin cannot knock us down if we don't want it to. Lord, when we sin, we recognize that it is us just giving into it, that it's not us being dragged into it or, or lost in it, Lord, by the enemy. It is us willingly sinning against you. You have set us free from that if we want to, and we recognize that, Lord. And in this moment, God, we ask that that would be cast away from our lives, those things. I'm so sorry. And we confess that the things that we have done are wrong. They only mess us up. They only cut our wrists and watch us bleed to death. We do not want to bleed to death, Lord. We don't like sin. We know what it does to us. We don't want our friends. So Jesus, Jesus, oh Lord, I thank you, truly. Lord, I thank you. And my family here, we thank you as a whole. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for giving your body to us and healing us spiritually and physically forever. Can we say thank you together? Thank you. Thank you. Let's partake. And Lord, this cup, can we lift the cup? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, right? You do not get to go to heaven. One time, guess what? You were all going to hell. Me too. You were going to burn for eternity. Burn for eternity. You deserve that because you have done wrong. Me too. You deserve to go to hell. You know what we have done spiritually? We have raped many women and children. We have killed many men. We have bombed many buildings. We have cheated on many wives and husbands. We deserve hell. But guess what? Our king has gone to hell for us. He was rich and became poor for you and for me. You do not have to go there anymore, and you will not go there, and I will not either. 
We're going to see the king. I want you, please, with all of your heart, to celebrate in your heart that you are forgiven and that all of your sins wiped away past, present, and future. And realize that no man on the face of the earth would ever do that to you. If you wrong them twice, they get mad at you and never talk to you again. But we have wronged Jesus a million times, and he still loves us. It's because of this cup. He's a good God, isn't he? He's so wonderful. We get to go to heaven, and we are going there. And it's because of this. It's because of your blood. And Jesus, oh Jesus, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. Lord, thank you so much. I can't believe you've done that for me, Josh Thompson, individually. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? My hands are dirty, Lord. And you look at me righteous and clean and perfect. It's because of your blood. Your blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth. It speaks righteousness for me. It stands in my defense. Jesus, it's your blood. And Lord, we praise you tonight. We exalt you. We lift you up. We will live for you forever. You're so awesome. Thank you for going to prison for us. Thank you for letting us have a trillion dollars for free. Heaven, Lord. Why? Thank you for what you've done. We've not forgotten you, King. We want to live for you, and we thank you that we have happy and set-free lives. It's because of you. We want to tell the world about it because you've been so good to us. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Anything that you need, let us know. We are willing, Lord. Father, truly, anything you need, Lord, we will do in our workplace. We'll do wherever we go. We are willing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's partake. Cheers to you, King. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Can you stand with me? And I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And I will call upon the Lord. The Lord liveth. Blessed be my rock, and may the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and may the God of my salvation be exalted. One more song. You can love, we've done it before, we just got to do it. It's so hot, okay? Hail Jesus, you're my King. Hail Jesus, you're my King. Your life brings me to sing. Your life brings me to sing. And I will praise you all my days. I will praise you all my days. You're perfect in all your ways. You're perfect in all your ways. Hail Jesus, you're my Lord. Hail Jesus, you're my Lord. And I will obey your word. I will obey your word. I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see your kingdom come. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours wait, 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 wait. be done. Terrible. <laughs> Come on, we get. Give me some clap. Give me some clap, okay? We'll start from the third verse. Actually, we're going to start from the second, okay? 
Yeah, give me some clap, right? Here we go. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> Dang, I started in the first verse. Hail Jesus, you're my Ready? Hail Jesus, you're my Lord. Hail Jesus, you're my Lord. I will obey your word. I will obey your word. I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see your kingdom come. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Hail, hail, line of Judah. Hail, hail, line of Judah. How wonderful you are. How wonderful you are. Hail, hail, line of Judah. You are glory, glory to the Lamb. Glory, glory to the Lamb. You take me into the land. You take me into the land. We will conquer in your name. We will conquer in your name. And proclaim that Jesus reigns. And proclaim that Jesus reigns. Hail, 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 line of Judah. You are how wonderful you are. Hail, hail, line of Judah. Hail, line of Judah. How powerful you are. 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 How powerful than all the rest. There is none like you. We will follow you. Please lead, guide, and direct us in this night and tomorrow as we wake. We need you, Jesus. And we're not going anywhere without you, Lord. So please lead, guide, and direct us. Show us your path, we ask in your name. Amen. 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 Love you guys.